Hello, James. Hello, Jack. James, it's a Friday afternoon. It's our usual time. It's an exciting Friday afternoon for a couple of reasons. The first is that uh, Zach, the former co-host of Just Hands, someone that we try not to talk about ever, is in New York and he and I are going to get together. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, but more importantly, we have uh, a fantastic guest today. We have one of our Patreon members, Monica. Um, Monica recently submitted a few hands in rapid fashion to the show, something that we really, really appreciate. We talked about one of those hands and we figured before we talked about any more, we might as well bring Monica on the show so that we could get her perspective uh, and you know, spice it up and not just have it be you and I. Uh, so Monica, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, I expect your perspective on the strategic elements to the hands to be a little bit more valuable, um, but I will certainly uh, contribute my thinking as well. Your thoughts will be required. Um, we'll, we'll <laughs> yeah. All right, so um, Monica, if you could set the scene for us. Sure. These all, these hands both take place at 1-3 at a, a brand new 1-3 table at Friday afternoon uh, at Philadelphia Live. The scene in Philadelphia Live tends to be uh, a fair few uh, nitty old men, um, the occasional drunk uh, Phillies or Eagles or Flyers fan, um, although they don't tend to be uh, at full blast at like 3 p.m. on a Friday, although sometimes they are. Um, and then um, some like uh, hyper-masculine spewy villains that like to, you know, just kind of rip it. Uh, and sadly, none of those, uh, none of those particular villains are involved in this hand. Um, uh, but it's um, generally a uh, pretty limpy foldy environment. Um, and I had never played with um, any of the villains of these hands uh, before, although um, at least one of them seemed to be a reg. Remind me, is, um, is this 1-3 or 2-5? 1-3. 1 is the lowest game they've spread, and it's definitely the um, sort of the, the poker stake that I think that I'm most comfortable in right now, certainly from a bankroll perspective. Understood. Yeah. Um, and I was just going to say, I think we should do more hands like at the same time of day and week as they occurred because I feel like we're, we'll get more into the the vibe of the hand and, and have a better feel for what's going on. Like I'm in a very Friday afternoon mood and I can, <laughs> I can feel like what it might be like to be there on a Friday afternoon. You know, they say like, if you, if you like study in a certain environment and you're in that same environment, it'll help you perform better on a test or if you've like you can like smell trigger yourself or like you smell lemons while you're studying right, and right right yeah so i feel like this is our kind of smell trigger um doing it on friday afternoon okay cool. I'm trying to think of what, what i would use to like really trigger the casino atmosphere just through a scent uh, maybe second I can add like smoke. smoke second <laughs> smoke. Yeah, that was my thought. <laughs> yeah. There's just some occasional like dinging going on of the slot machines. Yeah, some cheap perfume, maybe. <laughs> that would be a terrible study environment, but yeah, I might, might help you remember stuff for it. Uh, anyway, it's almost like casinos are bad. Well, I, to be. 
I mean, if you can like, if you can like grind Piosolver or whatever, like in an environment full of secondhand smoke and cheap perfume, then you probably are going to be able to operate comfortably in a casino anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Um, so, uh, like I say, we have two hands. Um, the first one I think is the more complicated of them. Um, um, so the villain in this hand uh, is an old guy that I had never seen before, um, but seemed to be a reg because the dealers all knew him when they sat down. Um, he bought in for 200 um, and had been kind of limp calling his way between 100 and 300 for a while um, and, and tended to play pretty passively post-flop. Um, something that I noticed with him um, in the short time that we had played, we'd played together for maybe like an hour and a half, um, that he donked a lot. Um, he would d frequently donk on turns that brought in front door straight or flush draws. Um, and uh, his opponents would often fold to him in that case. So um, he, he rarely showed down in those scenarios. Um, so uh, just, just to clarify, so like he might like check call flop and then like donk a scary turn. Yes, precisely. Okay. okay. Um, and um, a little bit before um, when he uh, he was sitting with something like 120, um, he opened to 15 in early position, which was rare for him to do. Um, he got one collar um, and then I uh, three bet with tens in position uh, and he jammed over top of me for like a little bit less than half uh, more. Um, and I snapped him and showed immediately. Uh, and he he rage mucked his cards as the dealer was dealing the flop. Um, and so he seems like he's prone to tilt. Um, and uh, I had never seen someone muck before the flop came out before. Um, but uh, he did indeed do that. Um, Weird. And yeah. Um, Again, and like so nine, um, eights. So I, well, yeah, that's that's my guess is that I probably had him dominated and he was pissed. Um, but he he bought back in um, and um, flushed over flushed another old guy. So he's sitting with um, about 350, 360 at this point. Did he he's, did he muck before the flop or just before the turn in river? Before the flop, like the dealer had like dealt the three and was picking them up to turn them over, and he just he just like yeah threw it out and like, and pulled out his wallet. He's yeah, he's giving up at least forty bucks there, right? Like yeah, like, yeah, for sure. Like not a great play. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, not a great play. And I mentioned that because he um, he expresses some kind of like uh, tilty body language um, at uh, towards the end of his hand, um, and so like you know, there's a lot of people that do that kind of for show, um, but when you muck your hand before the dealer deals the flop it's probably real tilt you know what i mean yeah. um yeah. So, uh, uh, just okay. just to get a little more information about you mm -hmm. uh do you have a demeanor where you think someone might be like irrationally angry at you like are you someone who tries to like rile people up or are you um, do you try to be very nice and i do try happy? to be nice um it's I, I definitely don't like try to goad people at the table. Um, I mean, like, just to sort of state the obvious, um, as a as a trans woman, sometimes old people are not super into that. Um, and so sometimes people will break you off some attitude. 
Um, but that's certainly, I don't think that was what was happening here. Um, I think that really, like I, we were at opposite ends, opposite ends of the table. He was in the two seat and I was in the whatever, where we're like maximum distance apart from each other. So we didn't really have any social interaction and the plexi was up anyway. Um, and so I think this guy was probably just a like angry old man. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. So, and, and that's not surprising. Uh, as yeah. a, one three tables tend to be full of angry old men in my experience. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so, uh, 360 effective and, uh, I haven't covered, um, uh, it folded to me on the button. Um, and I opened to 20 with, uh, two black sevens. Um, that's above the normal opening size for the table. People tend to open to 10 or 12. Um, but, uh, when I would open to 10 or 12, um, I would frequently get, we would go like a million ways to the flop. Um, and 20 was a size that allowed me to generally go heads up. Um, and, uh, so, um, that's the size that I tended to open at. Um, and, uh, small blind folds and this guy was in the big blind. Uh, I think we were six handed at that point. Um, and, uh, he called. What position did you open from again? Uh, the button. Okay. Uh, I think just a thought here, uh, I get, first of all, I totally think trying to put yourself in a position where you're comfortable is always a good idea. And so having these large opening sizes in order to take advantage of people's looseness, but without having to go extremely multi-way, uh, I think it's a good strategy. It's definitely something I advocate. I do think that being out of position in a very multi-way pot is very disadvantageous. And so taking other types of strategies like doing more limping and doing more large raising, I think is very smart. I would say an adjustment might be warranted when you're on the button uh, because being multi-way against not great players when you're in position is a situation I think that you should be pretty comfortable putting yourself into. Uh, and so I think the rationale behind the size of 20 does not necessarily hold in this situation. So I might advocate okay. for a smaller size. I, yeah, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to push back on this. Um, I think, so, so we have the, the villain in the big blind. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people won't be adjusting enough to this big size like it's like this guy will be a lot of the time in a mindset like of not wanting to fold his big blind like having some kind of rational attachment to this money that he just has to put out there and um i don't know what the rake structure is but not having to pay that like if they're not taking rake out pre-flop and they're taking out like um whatever six dollars twenty percent ten percent either way like um not having to pay that can be pretty good so no <laughs> this guy just like open mucked like let's play the hand with him i i'm so this is a technique that i use as a coach i mean i don't coach anymore sorry guys um 
yeah, we've got James for that and he does a fantastic job. Um, but when I, when I was a coach, what I would very often do is, you know, if Monica was my student, not to say that we're in this sort of student teacher dynamic, but I think sure. it can be helpful in a lot of different types of discussions. Uh, I'll take Monica's word for it in terms of how people are reacting and kind of adopt her logic. And what, what she laid out was that she's choosing this size to avoid multi-way pots because she thinks people adjust their behavior to the size. Uh, and so I'm basically saying that I don't think that logic applies to this position since we're in position and we're up against at least one player we know to be extremely weak um, or at least extremely erratic in a way that I think favors us. So if the rationale was what you gave James, then I would agree. Uh, and I think that, that what you're saying is a, there's a good case for it. Just, I'm just adding context to sort of like how I approach these sort of conversations. Yeah, that's, that's not what Monica what said. Yeah. Okay, uh, we ready for the flop? I didn't want to rob you, Monica, of like an extended pre-flop discussion. On your oh, no, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know, ultimately it is um, pre-flop dynamics, I think, are the most important thing to focus on, especially as like a thinking player who's just kind of at the very beginning, um, both because mistakes grow geometrically pre-flop. So making mistakes pre-flop can lead to uh, confusing situations where you spew um, later in the hand, but then also kind of understanding how to navigate a pre-flop scenario where you put yourself in an advantageous spot post-flop is correct. Um, so um, in a scenario where I don't have to worry really about going multi-way because A, I'm in position and B, only the blinds are left to act. Um, that is a pretty materially different scenario from saying, say like opening under the gun with like a bunch of people who once like UTG plus one calls, everybody else is going to call like in a domino effect. Um, those are very different scenarios and, and probably warrant um, a different set of assumptions. Um, yeah, I think, I think the, a general rule of thumb is that the most the most profitable thing that we can encounter in poker is playing in position with initiative against weak players. Uh, and so just if your only focus in poker is trying to find ways of putting yourselves in those positions and then just make the best decisions that you can once you're there, you'll be very successful in my opinion. Sounds good. Um, okay, so the flop. Um, pot is uh, 40. Um, after rake, it's like 35, but it's still in the pot. Um, flop comes seven of diamonds, eight of diamonds, nine of hearts. Uh, so seven, eight, nine with a flush draw, and we have bottom set. Um, and the villain clicks pot. He donk bets 40, um, which I was surprised by. Um, and, um, in the moment I was mostly thinking about implied odds, um, because I don't really have an idea of what he's doing this with, um, probably not total air. Um, but given that he hasn't shown down any of the scenarios where he made huge donk bets, um, I was assuming that, um, a, 
if the board paired, um, that I would probably get his entire stack, um, and B, that um, raising here would probably be an overplay. Um, although, depending on what he's talking with, um, I could easily need protection or just be totally crushing him. Um, it's kind of unclear. But um, given that I've gotten myself in some trouble before, um, raising made hands on really soaking wet boards, uh, I decided just to call, given um, the implied odds scenario. Remind me of stack depth here. Um, he started with 350, so he's got about a uh, little less than 300 behind. And after the flop, uh, the pot is, is 103. I, I think I like raise, and part of the reason why is I don't think that I, I don't think that Jack 10 is in here often enough or like, um, yeah, I think like this, you know, this board in some ways, like, like big blind's going to have a lot of nutty hands here and like our kind of range asymmetry that gives us an advantage of like having these over pairs, uh, often don't want to invest more on this board so they can be like put in a tough spot like seeing a lead here so like i think it makes sense to to construct some leads here from um big blinds perspective yeah because given that like we're on the button we, sorry go ahead because he has like random two pairs that yeah that want to take it down yeah well not necessarily take it down but yeah he can he can have like uh, like all the sets and lots of straights and two pairs. And I mean, we can too, cause we're on the button. It's not like we raised, um, like low Jack or under the gun or something, but due to the fact that I don't think that the nuts takes this line very much, I, I'm starting like to like a raise more and um, like from a theoretical perspective, we might want to have like some more hands to call with just to protect ourselves. Like when we have the over pairs here, but I think raise might be higher EV. If he has 10 X, like if he has like 10, eight or like queen 10, a hand like this, like, are we are are we going to benefit more from the information of like getting a six or a jack on the turn and facing another bet? I think we still probably have to call. I don't know. I'm I'm in. I'm in kind of two minds here. What do you so think, we, Jack? We've got $40 in the pot, and we have about 330 before villain leads. Villain leads for like around, sounds like $35. And if we raise, let's say we raise to 100, 
when you face a call, then the pot will have a pot size bet remaining. So there's kind of like, it's kind of a three bet game. Um, if we if we call and then face a check on the turn and a check on the river, we can get all in easily. If we raise and face a three bet, we're probably all in. If we raise, face a call, then we can shove the turn. If we raise and face a call, we might also face a donk bet all in. Um, so there's not, there's not a huge opportunity cost from like a value perspective of calling in some ways, because when the board runs out really favorably for your hand, you're going to be able to bet twice more. There could be an opportunity cost in the sense that if the turn, let's say that your opponent has 9-8 and the turn is a 10, then neither of you may put money in, in which case it's a loss for you, because had you raised the flop, um, your opponent would have definitely called. I am assuming based on the fact that your opponent has donked frequently in general and also on connected boards that your opponent can have a lot of different types of hands here. So I'm not ruling out much. I would not rule out the nuts. And I wouldn't rule out anything, but I would not severely discount anything either. I'm expecting to see hands like two pair, top pair, draws, maybe other sets, maybe, um, or, or the nuts as well, other straights. So I think you can see a lot, a whole lot of hands here. And so I think sevens has really good equity against this range. And it's, it's just more about evaluating like, what's the opportunity cost of kind of waiting to have more information versus what's the benefit of waiting to have more information? Right, okay. Yeah, I mean, in thinking, so I, I assumed that this guy was was playing pretty face up, um, in the sense that unless he is just an absolute maniac, um, that he wouldn't be doing this with a total air ball, um, and so, um, in that sense, I was fairly confident that if I called that he would continue. So I was, well, I also, oh, go ahead. Jump in real quick here because I think I wouldn't totally rule out an air ball. Cause I think it, it's a board that someone might say like, oh, this is scary. Right. For bluffing opportunity. And when we just call those hands might continue. Um, and if we raise, they're very likely to fold. So I do think that's a category of hands that's pertinent to our decision and would lend us towards a call. Yeah. I I don't really consider myself very good at understanding kind of what percentage of air balls I should give to just like random opponents in in live poker. Um I mean just because like in in a world where I get this whole stack where when the board pairs um it kind of, it's not super, it's not super relevant to me, um, whether he's going to be betting with, you know, offsuit undercards, um, or something great. 
Um, but um, it in a, in a world where I have to take more aggressive actions to get his whole stack, um, then suddenly understanding kind of what how often he'd be folding facing aggression is is much more relevant. Um, and so in that way, I think there are times when I'm under aggressive um, in in points when it might be much more profitable for me to be playing more aggressively. Um, and so I think that's probably a leak of mine. So the like uh, a thing that leads us towards call is um, if there if there are more airable bluffs, right? And then that that's like part of our decision is how often do we think that is? And I, um, yeah, I agree with Jack that like this is a scary board, and so like maybe you'll like to like kind of come up with some hands like maybe some suited aces like ace three suited. Uh, maybe like a more kind of merged hand ace uh, ace eight or something just decides to lead out here. And those are the kind of hands where um, like we definitely want to call to try and like induce, induce more opportunities for our opponent to bluff. I guess sometimes like we might fold by river on like a, you know, like a bad run out. Um, yeah, I think, I think a big benefit of calling in some situations is that you get to fold. Like if the board just runs out really atrociously for you, then we can maybe just fold. Yeah. I, maybe I against, against this opponent, it's, it's a bit tougher. Yeah. I don't trust this opponent enough to fold, which mm -hmm. is a, I'm I'm personally leaning raise, and that's a big part of the reason why. Um, I think we get more value on average from worse made hands here, uh, and I think we also might get draws to fold on the turn, which isn't like. The greatest thing in the world but sometimes we, we can deny some equity on the turn we might get our opponent to just kind of like station off with some like one pair type of hands six and, x might fold which isn't like it's not bad yeah. for us you know um or like you know jack jack nine or something something with a jack yeah i think against this player i'm okay with Pin, like just raising and then kind of pinching our nose and on just about any other card, but like this, let's say the six of diamonds, just piling in on the turn. Because I think this, this opponent, this opponent is too unpredictable and has sort of shown to be erratic um, in a way where I just don't think we can ever fold a set of sevens. And so we have much less incentive to sort of wait for more information that might allow us to fold our hand. I see. Okay. Uh, well, um, the turn is a scary card, though not quite as scary as six of diamonds. Uh, the turn is the Jack of spades. So offsuit Jack. Um, 
and he clicks pot again, he bets out a hundred dollars. Um, and, um, definitely feels gross. Um, but again, I'm thinking, um, from an implied odds perspective, even if he 100% has a straight here, um, if I get all of his money on a brick river, um, then I'm getting direct odds to call. It's a hundred to win about 500 in that case, um, or more than that, about 600. Um, and so, um, yeah, um, this sort of raising felt again, like an overplay in this scenario, although given the discussion on the flop, maybe not. Um, but, uh, in the moment rather than tank, um, I called. Call, call is pretty clearly the right decision here, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. The, I think like if your opponent started with a bluff, like a random airball bluff, like we said, like, um, they're definitely, they're extremely likely to continue to follow through on this card. Yeah, I just think your opponent's a donker and there's just a lot of hands that this could be. And I don't think I'm planning on folding the river either, but I also do think that if your opponent just has something that's not a 10, it's not like a really high equity draw either. Then if we raise, we'll get a lot of those hands to fold. So I'm pretty comfortable just getting ready to be a station here and lose our stack like a lot of the time, but I think you'll make money uh, relative to doing something else. Okay. Um, so he does not click pot on the river. Um, the river is the two of diamonds. Uh, so the flush comes in and um, he goes into like angry old man mode. Um, he actually gets up from the table for a moment um, and is like kind of visibly upset um, and then sits back down and looks at his cards and then checks. Um, and so um, given his, given his pre-flop muck thing earlier, um, I'm thinking that that's probably legit. Um, and in the moment I'm, I'm trying to balance the idea of never getting called by worse if I make a big bet, but also him having probably a non-trivial capacity to fold a 10 um, facing something big. Um, and so I decide uh, to ship it for about two thirds pot um, because I, in the moment, whether this is correct or not, I thought that if I checked back, I was never good. Um, but um, because again, I kind of wasn't really thinking about what's the likelihood that he has an air ball or that he's doing this with like a random nine, like an ace nine or something. Um, I was more thinking that um, given that he only ever donked really scary stuff um, and that people largely tend to play pretty face up, um, that that meant he probably had it. Um, and that he probably wouldn't be so visibly upset at the flush coming in if he like didn't have something that was ruined by 
his opponent making a flush. So, um, I don't know that it's, I'm, I'm not very confident in that thinking. Um, uh, and if we do the next hand, um, we'll see that, uh, maybe shipping it on the river is something that I maybe do a little too often. Um, but, um, I decide to ship it here. Um, and yeah. I'll um, tell you what happens later. So it's definitely like we get a very interesting read, like a good, I like having like these descriptions of like what the opponent actually did in the hand. Like it, you know, it matters. It changes the ranges. Um, and yeah, I, it seems like very rarely is this guy going to have a flush unless like, you know, could be like a super actor, but I, I just don't think that's how this guy's doing it. And um, yeah, I mean, good beats in that be, case. I mean, like I be, fell for it. Yeah. It's going to be 10 X uh, a lot, a lot of the time. Um, just, just given, yeah, just given how he's behaving. Um, but I also think it could be two pairs sometimes, you know, like maybe sometimes he has Queens here. Um, and so like, I would say like our expected value for checking back is positive. Like sometimes we will win the pot here by checking back. And so, um, you just kind of have to like figure out like, okay, like what percentage of the time do I think my set is good? Like given what he did checking back here, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's 5% of the time. So, or 10% of the time. So the EV is like whatever, 5%, 10% of the pot. And then when you're shipping it, like you need him to fold, uh, like at a greater frequency, um, such that your like your shove is plus EV and yeah, it's, it's difficult for bluffs to be making a lot, a lot of money. Um, uh, so I don't, yeah, I don't think I like this shit, but if like, if you're really tuned in, this guy seems like a big folder. Um, maybe, maybe it, you could go for it here, but um, just in general, like when the EV of checking back is is positive, I would lean away from trying to to bluff with this hand. I disagree a little bit with your framework, James. Yeah, in the sense that when we're shoving the river here, we never lose in an instance where we would have won by checking back. So it's not like our opponent can, that can be a danger of like, let's say that there was um, three times the pot behind and we bet half pot. Then there are times if our opponent decides to shift, which it does seem unlikely after this behavior, then we could potentially have won the pot if we had checked back and then end up losing the pot because we face a bluff um, from our, our opponent we fold. Here, that can happen. If we, if we would have won by checking, we'll always win by shoving. We might win more when our opponent has a worse hand. If we would have lost by checking... No, it's, a, it's the frequency, though. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that this means that you should shove. Yeah. We, so we can sort of split it into two categories of... I may not have explained well what I was thinking. 
Yeah, and the, the times where we would have won by checking back, we have only upside by shoving. The times where we would have lost by checking back, it's less clear. It, it depends more on like, can we bluff or not? Um, is, it's, is he folding at the appropriate frequency such that our bluff, bluff is more plus EV than checking back? But you have to consider both the times when you're not good and the times when you are good. So like, if you're good half the time, not good half the time, and your opponent folds half the time when you're not good and always folds when you are good, you're definitely better off shoving. If your opponent um, always calls when you shove in that scenario, then you're indifferent to shoving or just checking back. Anyways, I just for the sake of time, like, I think you would have to be really confident that your opponent had a lot more two pair, one pair type hands than tens. And I'm just not that confident of that. So I would check back. Uh, I don't really think your opponent's going to fold a 10 personally. I would be absolutely flummoxed. Um, oh, I, so, I assumed that our hand, we're turning it into a bluff here. Wait, that is what I, I thought I, know. I was doing in the moment. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I, think I don't think... I mean, well, just at least like given a given kind of the tendencies of of random old dudes, um, I figure that um, this guy is probably going to fold rather than station off just in a in a in a world where he's presented with that choice. Um, so I think in a world like given the previous action and just sort of given the tendencies of the demographic, um, if he calls, I'm probably not good. So I was conceptualizing it as a bluff in that moment. Um, let Let's say we bet pot. I just I don't know if I agree with the read. Let's say we bet pot on the river, just to the, it'll make it a little easier, like for the math. We we need him to fold more than half the time for that bet to be plus EV, right? And I think our check back is plus EV, and so like, is he folding like more than half the time? And so it's seventy five percent. So it's like three, three to four, or whatever. So well, like that's the ratio. Is, we is, need. He, is he folding more than half the time? The times when he has a better hand, and then you also have to consider how often he's calling when he has a worse hand. Worse hand. Uh, I don't think he's calling so, when he has a worse hand. I don't think so either. Yeah, so if you so you don't think he's calling when he has a worse hand. Yeah. And you also think he might fold when he has a 10. Yeah. I don't yeah. personally agree with the read. It doesn't sound right to me. I think this guy's calling you, looking you up for the 10. Yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> well, that's fair. Um, whatever he had, he did fold it. Um he okay. uh he sat there for maybe 30 seconds, um, looking at his cards and kind of muttering to himself. Um and then folded and racked up and left. Um, yeah. And, he could, he uh, could have had a 10. I think he would have showed you the 10. Uh, Maybe. I don't know. Um, I mean... You never know. It, yeah, you it, never it know. I mean, maybe, I mean, this, you know, at a, at a stage, you know, where I'm, I'm pretty early in my poker education, um, making a genius move by accident is kind of less preferable than making a good play wherein I lose money. 
um, you know, yeah. uh, just in terms of me being confident that my skills are growing and that I'm not just like hitting buttons and happening to stumble upon the correct thing to do. Um, this, but, this yeah. is, I mean, it just, come, it just comes down to like whose read on this player is right. And I don't think I'm actually that much more likely to be right about that than you are because you play in those stakes, you were there in the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm just like a guy who hasn't played one three in like years who is saying that it just doesn't sound it's not that consistent like with my experience which I, I do have plenty but not that recently so i i wouldn't necessarily i think the takeaway should be that because we don't think he would fold a 10 it means that we're right and you were right here. um i mean uh, you know i don't i don't think that i'm judging that this guy folds a 10 in a world where he didn't muck his hand pre-flop he didn't muck his hand during a pre-flop all-in before the dealer dealt the flop. I mean, like, that is something that is just, like, a truly world-historical level of tilt that... And I, it shows, that, yeah, it shows that, like... I think that shows that it's possible that he would fold a 10 just because he could be doing anything, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I don't, I don't um, think it shows that he folds I, a 10, like, more than half the time or whatever, but... It would be a ridiculous time to fold a 10. Um, not saying that that means he wouldn't, but just like to like make this huge fuss and like twirl around and like just totally telegraph that like I fucking did not like this card. And then just fold like the very best hand that like you could have after doing that is would be hilarious. Uh, I could see it. I could have also seen you saying that this was sort of a value bluff where Let's say that you thought that his range was like 70, 30 hands you beat and that you weren't sure whether he would fold all of it or call all of it, but you felt that it was unlikely enough that he would do the right thing, that it was just better to shove. Yeah. But like a third of the time, he's just going to call with everything. <laughs> a third of the time, he's going to fold everything. And then a third of the time, he's just going to call with exactly the hands that beat you and exactly fold exactly the hands that you beat. You would still be better off shoving um, if you just had no idea, but you felt like he was a very erratic player and that his range was favorable relative to your hand where he would have to make a very precise set of actions in order to thwart your shove. That, that can make sense where you don't actually like normally if you're shoving, you want to know if you're bluffing or not, but there can be times where you don't actually have to know and it can still be right. Value bluff. Value bluff. I thought you were value bluffing. Okay, that's sure. that's probably where some of our uh, confusion came in or disagreement. Um, I yeah, mean, I like, like I in, know, in, in or fold a ten, but mm-hmm. fuck it, I'm, yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, in the moment, I think maybe because I'm I'm prone to this sort of scared thinking of of a of a relatively new player. Um, I thought that I was never good. I think in retrospect, I think that there are scenarios in which I was good. Um, and so that the, oh, yeah. the scenario of whether I'm, val- whether I'm value bluffing or whether I'm bluffing bluffing um, is like different than I was conceiving of in the moment. But in the moment I thought like this guy has a 10 or five, six or whatever, like every time and that I'm never good if I check back. Um, and- oh, yeah. I, think you, I think you're giving this guy way too much credit. Like, it's very plausible to me that he had like eight six offsuit. Mm. And he's looking at this like, oh, I have flops like an awesome flop. I'm gonna bet. Turn like whatever, I'm just gonna bet again. And then like, God, how did I miss that kind right. of thing? 
And he's just like, yeah. Or like an ace nine, and then he still just like looks you up. Like shit happens. Right. So I, I'm not as confident as you are that this was like a ten, and you were never good. Okay. I, I have a. But it doesn't. A... It also doesn't really matter to the. It doesn't really matter because what matters to the decision, like if you decide to bluff, is like what do you fold a ten. So I could be right in that he has all these other hands, but you still might want to shove because you determined that he would just fold a 10. And that would be a very good play. If you're right. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It depends on or like what frequency you think he's folding a 10 or whatever. I would make an executive decision. Let's move on to the next hand so that we okay. can I that much Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. But we have, to, we have yeah, we can we can talk about this more in the Slack if we if we want to. Um, I'll post I'll post the hand histories. I'll wait for the episode to be released, but I'll I'll post the hand histories in the Slack afterwards. All right, um, Patreon.com/slash/justhands um, for all you guys out there. If you want to jump in with us, yeah. All if right, you want to, if you have any reads on angry South Philly retirees and whether they fold <laughs> straight when the front door flush comes in, um, I'm very curious to know. Um, okay. Um, all right, so hand number two. Um, this was not very long after this hand. Um, uh, there was a um, a few people had left, and then another guy showed up. Um, and um, so this guy um, was fifty something guy um, who um, had clearly never played poker at Philly Live before because he didn't know that your first buy-in has to be at the cage. Uh, so anytime someone shows up and drops money on the table, um, the dealers always tell them, uh, "We can't sell you chips." without you having chips already. I don't understand why. Um, but so uh, if you want, they also don't keep fives in the tray. Uh, so um, when someone shows up with cash, they send them to the cage and then they come back. Um, this guy walked up to the table and pulled out like a rat king of, of crumpled $20 bills and just dropped them on the table. Um, and then the dealer was like, uh-uh, you gotta go. Um, and uh, so he scooped them up and went and came back with about 300. Um, and um, was making small talk with the dealer about how um, he left the blackjack tables uh, because he was so upset that um, at, uh, you know, like $100 minimum blackjack at Philly Live, uh, people can join the game mid-shoe and according to him, like fuck up the, the whatever, the flow, I guess, for all the players that are currently at the table um, and like how at a bunch of other casinos, apparently you're not allowed to do that. Um, and so... Oh that was question. yeah is oh you said this is philly live yeah this is philly live oh okay i was thinking that this was uh parks for some reason and my whole my whole the whole time i'm just like picturing parks um because i parks i think they recently opened a new poker room where it's adjacent to the casino because it used to be in this other building and so you wouldn't get that kind of cross-pollination between like a blackjack table the poker room, okay which is kind of, it's a pretty beautiful thing when that does happen as you can uh you're probably about to attest to is my guess <laughs> uh well we'll see um but yeah i mean certainly this guy seems to be like talking about um a whole bunch of stuff that like a person who thinks about poker kind of the way they should would never care about ever um and so um yeah i'm thinking that this guy probably um doesn't really know what he's doing um the only uh game actions i've seen this guy take um, cause this was just, this was within one orbit of him sitting at the table. Um, he stacked an old guy, uh, when he limped a set of, when he limped jacks and flopped a set, uh, and then the other guy like had, you know, something that he bet three streets with, 
Um, and then he called him down with this set of jacks um, and then got all his money. Um, so um, that is, I think, um, that's only one hand, but I think that the fact that he would limp a set of jacks and then just call down in position, or limp jacks, flop a set, and then call down in position um, is fairly indicative to how we can expect this guy to play value hands, um, given that um, he had the nuts uh, and and never raced with it. Yeah. Um, but it's a good, um, good hand to take note of. Um, well, we'll see how much note I take of it. Um, but yes, that is um, that is the one hand I've seen him play. Um, so um, after stacking that guy, he has um, he had a little bit more than four hundred, um, and then uh, he uh, has. Um, uh, I said the effective stacks for this hand were four hundred. Um, this was a while ago at this point, so I don't remember if he had like lost some or if I was just rounding. Um, but let's say the effective stacks are four hundred. Right, awesome. Um, okay, um, so um, random old dude limps under the gun. Uh, the villain in the cutoff limps behind, um, and I make it 25 on the button with two red kings, and they both call. Is the preflop. Um, once again, I kind of pick my sizing, thinking that um, the average random limper um, tends to be limpy foldy instead of limpy collie, um, and um, I would like to play heads up if possible. Um, and uh, so I sized up a little bit, both because there was A, a limper, um, or two limpers, uh, and B, um, wanted to try to avoid going multi-way uh, to the flop with kings. Um, although, as we mentioned previously, being in a position, that's kind of less important. Um, but uh, that was my thinking at the time. OK. Um, yeah, we won't restate too much from before. Um, okay. Um, so the flop comes five nine nine rainbow, uh, and they both check to me, and I bet forty into uh, just under seventy after rake. Um, under the gun limper folds, and uh, villain in the cutoff calls. I I typically go a little smaller here. I'm looking to kind of put ace highs in like a tough spot. I don't think we ever really lose too much. Like when an ace comes, like we can just check back and like, I'm pretty comfortable like folding river facing a bet. Like, um, yeah, I just, I typically go a little smaller, just try and like, Maybe I'm just trying to string along like these, the pairs below nine, uh, stuff like this. And yeah, I just don't think we need to to bet quite this big, but maybe I'm nitpicking. Is a, is it a rainbow board? I can't remember. Rainbow board, yes. 599 rainbow. Yeah, I, I always check here. Here's why. There's not that many hands that will call here that will, it's not really like a call down three times range. That might not be totally true versus this exact player, but even this exact player is like not going to have just like Queens that often. 
Um, so for the most part, there's not that many hands that just call down. Uh, facing a raise is really weird. And some of the hands that could continue through a call can also continue through a raise. Again, not the specific villain we outlined, it seems unlikely, but in general. Um, and I think that, so I, I don't think you just get called that often and then get to like value bet a, a bunch more. I think it's a lot of like hands that may, might call you once, maybe call you twice, don't usually call you three times. When they do call you three times, it's gonna be a nine pretty frequently. Uh, so my strategy here is typically just give a free card and hope it's the kind of card that gives our opponents hands that can call two big bets and lose. It's like you're, you're, you're drawing to like a 10 jack queen. And the reason is really because you want your opponent to turn top pair. And if your opponent turns top pair, they might bet uh, and you can even consider raising, although it's a little, it's a high variance play. Um, but definitely we can sort of just opportunistically bet big twice. Uh, and I don't think that our opportunity cost against like a pair of sixes or like five, four is that high by taking that line. Certainly like we, we let ASEX realize some equity. So very occasionally you're just gonna see an ace on the turn someone's going to bet and you're just going to be like, God damn, how did this happen? But that's yeah. okay. I, I still think check is worth it because it's all, it's just all about getting value. You don't have that much equity to deny. And I think your value proposition here um, is not very good. Like you're, there's not very many avenues of getting a lot of value. And I would just be a little bit greedy and try and draw to like even an eight, like a pair of eights, I think is a hand that can very easily call twice when we check. I mean, the other thing about checking is that your opponents aren't going to think you have kings because they're just not right. that sophisticated. And so when you bet big twice after checking, they're going to be a lot less worried about these like monster type hands than if you just bet the flop. So is that a consequence of the paired board? Um, like, so in a world where it's like the board comes like low, low, mid, and it's not paired and it's still a rainbow board. Um, I assume you're betting that in that scenario, um, or are you also checking there because you are hoping for opponents to turn some equity? I'm like, you know, I'm a hundred percent betting two, two Jack. And I'm definitely not betting Jack, Jack two. Okay. Five, five, nine is close. Nine, nine, five to me is not a bet. It okay. is because like, you, I want the top pair type hands to be hands that can plausibly call or likely call two bets and plausibly call three bets. So on two, two Jack, then a pair of Jacks is like a great value target for three streets on nine, nine, five, a pair of fives is not a great value target for three streets. It's like probably one, maybe two. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, well, um, my thinking, um, my thinking was, if this guy has a nine, he'll certainly be slow playing it, um, given he slow played the nuts uh, a little while before. But my thinking was also that um, if he's limping jacks, he's probably limping lots of pairs and probably not 
going to be very good at getting away from them. Um, maybe that is an extension that's unwarranted. Um, but I mean, like, this guy's certainly calling three streets with jacks. This guy's certainly calling um, at least two streets with, like, sevens, I think. Um, and um, I just thought that, it's, it, you know, I don't like to really go on on live reads um but i mean like this guy as a gambler guy clearly um i think probably would call just to peel more cards because like that's probably what he thinks the game is um and so um i in my mind i was definitely preparing to uh to bet three streets here um yeah so the turn hey, came. Oh, go ahead. Real quick, a good reason to bet the flop is just because people call with just nothing. Yeah. And I, I think I may be downplaying that a little bit. Sure. Uh, so I think the more that people are just going to call with like Queen 10, uh, then the better our bet becomes. Also, or the, the one thing I'll say about like sevens is that, yeah, I think sevens would call twice. But the the cards, I don't think your opportunity cost of checking is that high because if the turn if the cards that your opponent would not necessarily call twice on are the cards where you wish you would have checked anyway, like a like a jack, but your opponent might fold on a turn jack, sevens. But if you knew the turn was going to be a jack, you would rather check because you'd rather let the jack x draw to a jack. Whereas if the turn is a two then you now you still have a pretty good chance of getting two streets of value from the sevens anyway. I see. Okay. Okay. Um, well, the turn's two, uh, completing the rainbow. Um, and um, the pot is a little under 150. Um, and I bet about half pot again. I bet 75. Um, and he um, tanks for like long enough that I noticed um you know maybe 10 15 seconds and it's like looking at his hand um which i think is kind of weird given that there's there's no flush um and i mean he would need to really be confused about what was going on if he like didn't know whether he had a straight draw or not because if he had one he had it on the flop probably um but uh he calls and checks dark what was uh, he turning after, sorry uh, offsuit deuce. So like okay. deuce not bringing a uh, deuce not bringing a backdoor flush draw. Yeah, I like the turn play. Okay. Um, any more to add or should I go to the river? Uh, kind of waiting to see if James jumps in, but I can add more also. I, I liked it too. Uh, what do you think, Jack? Well, I like the play. I just to note the... Uh... The interesting behavior. I the problem with the behavior is that like while it's pretty notable and dramatic, I don't feel like I can draw too much from it beyond like the range I already thought that he had. Sure, that's like, was my thinking as well. Like a bluff catcher, a nine, a draw. It all seems to still be in play. So I'm not really going to change up the river too much. I, I think your plan is to bet again. I think it's a good plan, even though. I think I mean I think there's a case for checking back the river 
if we, like, we just are pretty locked in that your opponent's not going to fall. What's Again, the SPR is just SPR is just about one. What's his VPIP? Um, I don't know what his VPIP is. He's been at the table for less than an orbit. Um, he uh, he limped probably. I mean, it was a while ago at this point. Um, he limped at least once in one orbit, possibly more than once. Okay, he's he's folded a few hands though. Presumably, yes. Okay. Um, and I mean, as far as the check dark, I mean, like, I've actually seen quite a lot of that. Um, I think it's like one of those things that like people that don't play poker, but like have consumed like popular poker media are like aware of things that people do sometimes because they've seen like Phil Hellmuth check dark on ESPN or whatever. <laughs> um, and so like um, for people that just kind of like don't, think about poker in the way that modern players think about poker checking dark is like some like i don't know some some cool shit for them to do um and so i don't really read too much into that um uh anyway um the river is an is a 10 uh and the suit is relevant um which is definitely not a card that i would like to see given that um he uh could plausibly have like one of my value targets was tens um, but, um, just seeing that this guy could have so much and as a, um, as like a guy who was going on about like superstitious blackjack stuff, like probably was capable of calling whatever, um, I shipped it for just under pot, um, which was, uh, probably like 270, 280, um, and, uh, I really don't like that in retrospect. Um, and I guess I'll just spoil it. I get snapped by seven, nine off. Um, but I mean, uh, like. You shouldn't have spoiled I, it. I was going <laughs> to, I was going to talk about those combos. All right. Oh, uh, okay. Well, no, I no, mean, no worries. No okay, worries. So, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, the, um, I don't know. I mean, I think. Shipping it could easily be a scenario where I'm never called by worse. Um, but I think that also um, for for a certain kind of gambly player, um, I think they, I think, I don't know. I don't know what I think. It's, it's hard for me to just, it, it's, it's hard for me to, to separate what actually happened from, from what conceptually could have happened. Um, but I mean, like, I don't know. I could see a really gambly person calling it down just to sort of see what happened in a big pot. I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, I think this is a good time where, and I, th I think this. I even fell for this as well. Where sometimes when it's good to just remember what life was like pre-flop and on the flop. Pre-flop, we were just talking about how this guy calls down with like monsters, yeah. which wasn't, it was important information for this hand because it, it suggests that a nine is not gonna play that aggressively. And then I also said on the flop that part of the reason I didn't wanna bet is because I didn't think we could get three streets of value from worse. So I think by the time we get to the river, we know we don't wanna shove based on those things. And, and we didn't get any information on the turn other than this kind of like odd display which I think should have changed that. So I think the question is more, should we check or should we bet small? And I think I 
just from a combinatorics perspective would lean towards check because there's there's potentially a lot of nines yeah and just going into that a little bit like like if if you do the kind of like partial profile thing and say like maybe it's just like a quarter of the time he has all these nines like that's still like a lot of nines from the composite profile just because the like the offsuit nines add up so quickly um and yeah just given given that even even if less than half the time he's the kind of player to play like 10 9 offsuit um we yeah we have the info that he checked back to jack so um yeah i think it it should be a check on the river and you know like the the instinct to go for thin value i think is good um and you know i think like studying the game like i often you know won't won't expect people to show up with these random hands um that like aren't in the preflop ranges of your of all my charts but um they're they're there some of the time so anyway those are my thoughts if you bet yeah, what just... would you, what size would you bet $3? Or do you think we're just never betting? Uh, I don't think we should bet. <laughs> it, what if it's what if it's not a ten on the river? I don't think it matters that much. Yeah, personally, just because even even in like a standard range, when we know our opponent plays fairly passively, there's a lot of nines. So there's two suits that are removed, but there's still two combos each of ace nine, king nine, queen nine, jack nine. 10-9 up until the river, in which case one of them might have been removed. Uh, but at least one combo of 10-9, 9-8, 9-7. all those seem like somewhat likely. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we can start to introduce some other suit nines and offsuit nines at, at a lower frequency. Uh, but we can see that our threshold of being right is getting up there where, yeah, we do have some... 24 combos or so of pocket pairs that could call down three times. So I, I do think like it's not insane to think that we might get called here by hands that we beat more than we get called here by hands that we lose to. But I think there's also, when you're talking about betting um, a smaller amount, now we risk like, what do we do when we face a shove and would our opponent yeah. ever yeah. like a bluff? And if we plan to fold, now we're we're introducing some risk there. We're like right. that fold is not a risk replay. Okay. Um, and yeah. let, let me say I've I've also been in the, the spot where on these like you know like paired boards or like two sevens or two eights and um, someone who's playing just more hands than I expect and I. Yeah, I try to go for a thin value, and it's just, yeah, I've done it before too. Yeah, well, um, I mean, um, I think kind of, I'm in the stage of maybe this is naive. Um, I think of myself as in the stage of my kind of poker journey where um, I do something that causes me to 
lose lose my whole stack and then i'm thinking okay well i guess i know never to do that again um and so now i understand kind of the ways that people who are playing more or less the entire grid um can uh can really twist the knife uh when you have an overpair on a sort of middling paired board um and so i think i understand kind of some ways to be more cautious in that case now. Um, I don't think I would make the same play um, uh, if I were to repeat the scenario. I think I probably, before you described it, I probably still would have bet the flop. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, like um, this definitely, like I'm gonna remember this one for a long time for sure. Thanks very much for that. Uh, those two hands, definitely a lot to consider. Um, Jack's no longer with us, but uh, I understand you have something you wanted to promote. Oh, well, not so much promote. Um, I mean, so um, I'm just back from a, um, uh, a poker vacation in Vegas uh, with some friends of mine who are uh, who play professionally, um, one of whom made a cameo uh, in a recent Brad Owen video um, uh, in vlog 163. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll post my, that sounds cool. Yeah, my friend Elliot has the camera pointed at him the entire time. Um, I don't think that uh, he is the villain in any of the hands, um, but it's uh, it's cool to see him uh, in the background of the video. Um, I'm hoping that uh, my friends pick up some some serious Bradley dollars uh, <laughs> in the course of their uh, course of their pro career. So nice. I'll be cheering them on. Yeah, if. Uh... You can pass on the word if, if Brad Owen ever wants to come on the podcast. Uh, he's, he's very welcome. <laughs> uh, I, will, I will inform my friends that they can plug Just Hands for Brad Owen uh, <laughs> in, in case they're ever like getting a beer with him afterwards or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Um, it's, you know, it's really cool for me to, or for Jack and I to talk to someone who's, like excited about poker and like in in the like just really oriented to to learning more and uh it's yeah it's like it's a very interesting time you know um so thanks thanks so much for coming on we appreciate it definitely i mean you know i um i think a big part of the reason why i'll reflect some of that energy back at you um i think part of the reason why i'm so excited about poker is because of um things like just hands and crush live poker and the vloggers that, you know, um, just sort of make poker so accessible to people who are used to thinking strategically in other games um, and um, have this kind of endless kind of landscape of, of navigating poker situations um, to, to do some strategic thinking in. Um, and yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be able to be on the show. I'm glad to be able to be in the Slack um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's what you've got here is pretty cool and I'm glad to contribute. Thanks. Yeah. I think like poker can be, it's like a very individual and, uh, it can be like lonely sometimes. Like if you're just out there, like grinding on your own, you know, you're like, as a poker player, you're, you're the one who is the, is there like making all the decisions and, um, you know, like no one can help you really while you're at the table. And so, yeah, I think it's important to find uh, other ways to connect with people um, like 
just hands and you know these these other platforms as well so it's really cool definitely i mean we, we were talking about magic the gathering a little bit before the the recording began um and i mean like the best part about you know playing a game like that is like going to tournaments with a crew where you all have like your own tournament story and you're following along with each other and you're like helping each other study and things like that and so you know um just last week you know being at the Bellagio sitting there playing one three while you know mm-hmm. friends of mine were like sitting down like at the five ten tables like with the vloggers and the European pros and the the VIPs it, it was just so cool to be able to just kind of like be in everybody's poker journey at the same time like when you're sitting there playing an individual game but like it is happening in the context of like this group that is like kind of all shooting their shot together um yeah it just is um that just makes the game so much more interesting from my perspective yeah definitely all right um yeah thanks thanks very much monica we we appreciate it and um yeah if you want uh if you want to hear some more monica hands uh i'll plug it again uh uh get on the the just hands patreon patreon.com slash just hands and uh yeah hope to see everyone there